everybody. Sales returned to the pinnacle of European rugby on Saturday, began with a whimper rather than a bang, as the Sharks went down 13 points to 7 away at Glasgow Warriors. In a game characterised largely by Sales' lack of possession, two penalties from Adam Hastings and a quick-fire try from DTH van der Merwe was ultimately the difference, although the visitors did pick up a conciliatory losing bonus point. My name is Lewis, welcome back inside the Shark Tank, and joining me to discuss a somewhat tepid affair at Scott's Tune are my hosts, Alex and James. Alex, how are you? I'm very good, mate. Excited to see us back in the Champions Cup and getting beat again. It's just like old times. How are you? <laughs> uh, very well, thank you. Off there, just before we started, me and James were talking about how the worst game in the Champions Cup is always going to be better than the best game in the Challenge Cup just by virtue of the competition. It was so good to be back at that top table, even if ultimately the game and the performance left something to be desired. James, how are you? Yeah, good, mate. Completely agree. As we said off air, you know, much prefer to be, you know, present at the, you know, the Champions Cup and the stage that we're at rather than going away to Russia somewhere. So, yeah, it's good to be back. Brilliant. Well, let's let's start off the top. We've got some three-word reviews, which we'll be going through shortly. But Alex, obviously, like we said, a little bit of a tepid start. You know, losing to a team that only scored 13 points is always leaves a bit of a, bit of a sour taste in the mouth. But obviously, looking at it objectively, so I went to Glasgow, didn't play particularly well and still got a losing bonus point out of the game. Do you think Saturday's performance from Sale, you know, was a good result for the team overall? Or do you think... Given the context, given the circumstances, we should have done a little bit better. Um, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I suppose it's not the worst result. It's it's not by any means a bad result. I don't think you can characterise it as a good result. I think you know, um, on on the game we sort of had had the chance to win it and didn't. Um, and, I mean, over the eighty minutes we didn't deserve to, but you know, I think. It's not a good result, but by, by no means a bad result. A losing bonus point away at Glasgow is no bad thing. They are a very good team. Um, they're a bit more settled team than us. They've got a lot of quality throughout throughout the squad, um, a lot of internationals. We sort of maybe um, maybe not a complete full strength. They perhaps you know similar, but I think I think it's really difficult. It's it's not a good result because it's a loss. But at losing bonus point, I was happy with, you know, sort of sitting there at the end thinking, am I okay with that? I haven't been 13 nil down at half time to, you know, come out 13-7 and lose bonus point. I think you sort of go, right, let's take it and move on to La Rochelle at home next week and get our campaign started properly there. Yeah, James, what was what was your sort of takeaway from, from Saturday's game? Alex sort of touched upon a, a pretty disappointing first half performance and the fact that we got something out of the game. I know a lot of people are looking at it as, as largely positive, but sort of what did you take away from, from Saturday's encounter? Well, the first half was, was very poor. Um, and actually, I thought we were very lucky to be only 13 points behind. I think we we sort of held on a little bit. Um, the, you know, it was it was a reasonably poor game. The second half improved a little bit, but not by that much. I thought you know it really sort of Glasgow came down to our level rather than sort of vice versa, rather than us sort of going up to their level. But to go away in the Champions Cup and pick pick up a losing bonus, you know that that could be very important. Um, but it's only important you know if we win at the weekend. If we if if we don't win at the weekend, then we're out of the competition. Uh, which would be uh, 
you know, quite a, <laughs> a quick demise, really, for our Champions Cup campaign. So it puts a lot of pressure on us this weekend. But I think overall, considering the 80 minutes, considering how poor we were to come away with a losing bonus point, having been 13-0 down at half time, we sort of pulled it together and got as much as we could out of the game. Ironically, we could have stolen it at the end. But it would have been a complete steal. I mean, at no part in that 80 minutes did it look like we were the better side. I thought we got beaten in, in pretty much every area of the game. Yeah, I think that's, uh, not to be too despondent, but I think that's a pretty fair summary of the game. If we had snatched a win at the end, it would have been thoroughly undeserved. And, and Glasgow were the better team on the day in, in basically every area, but we'll come on to that. Uh, in a little bit uh, and obviously you know a great place to start when we're sort of talking about themes of the game is, is with our three word reviews so thank you to everyone who's been sending them in uh, over the course of the day um, and there's some obviously recurring themes that come up quite a lot which we will touch upon momentarily uh, so Simon which is uh, at uh, Rauma Blue uh, better line out needed uh, Alex Etherington set piece dreadful Jason Williams uh, set piece poor you're really starting to see a theme here uh, Simon at Muddy Dwarf line out a calamity uh, Robin uh, S, lightweight centres. Martin Whiteley, coaches not delivering. Paul Barnes, consistently underperforming. Richard Lilly, AJ RDP, Axis. Phil Coffey, third in Premiership. Obviously, reference to some of the news that broke today that we're going to talk about a little bit later. And then Oliver Kahn, start with Jono. So there's obviously one particular. Uh, theme that keeps emerging and that's obviously the, the sort of failure of sales set piece um, both in terms of the line out and indeed the scrum uh, against Glasgow on Saturday. James how, how important do you think the fact that Sale went only five of nine on their own line outs you know so 55 percent how important do you think that was in, in sort of dictating the, the fact that Sale never really like you said looked like winning uh, winning the game on Saturday? Well, I think we've got to put it into context of the fact that in the first half, we had virtually no possession. I think after something like 30 minutes, we'd only had something like 25% of the ball. So when you do get a set piece or you do win a penalty, you have to keep hold of the ball. you know. And I think that this was the main issue that we had. We, we didn't hardly go through any phases. You know, it was like one or two phases, then it was a mistake, you know, or we lost possession or, you know, we made a mistake in the set piece. Mainly the line out, but the scrum uh, was was sort of holding on as well, struggling as well. I do think that, you know, th th this season, the scrum hasn't been quite as good as in previous seasons and the line out is a lot worse. So I think in the context of no possession in the first half, the set piece being poor is, is, is bad. And it's kind of like a, a vicious cycle, really. Because we've kind of got known for not having a good line out this season. And therefore, the opposition target it more because they see it as a real opportunity to gain possession. And when you're only getting about 50% of your line out ball, I mean, 50%. I mean, that's every time we kick it to touch or they, they, they try and do a pass that might score a try or go to touch, they're confident that, you know, they've got a 50% chance of getting the ball back. Um, which basically means when the opposition are playing territory and putting the ball into the corners, if they're finding the touchline, it's going to put us under awful amounts of pressure at 9 and 10 to clear our lines. So, you know, I, I do think it's a major problem and we need to get it sorted. And what's more is it's a new problem, especially the line-out. Last two years, our line-out, Weber to Beaumont or Evans, has been a really solid go-to. 
Yeah, it's, we, we, we haven't even talked about the line-out in previous years, like, certainly the last two years. So something has happened, right, which has changed it. And it isn't just Akka van der Merwe. Akka van der Merwe, uh, sorry, Akka van der Merwe is throwing in. Um, you know, something's, something's happened which has affected Weber as well. Um, it might be, and I was having a conversation with someone on Twitter around this, that, you know, Akka coming in, his trajectory or his pass is, is different. It's flatter than Weber's. So I wonder whether because you're having to adjust to, you know, jumping to, to different hookers who throw the ball in different ways, it's just got it out of sync. And and I think it being in sync is so important to a good line out. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think we we saw throughout the game that Sale really struggled to gain any sort of possession and any sort of phase play and any sort of territory. It's actually in the second half when, when we started to play a little bit better and Glasgow eased off a little bit. That, that dynamic started to change a little bit. And I think having a set, struggle in set pieces is, is obviously a concern, especially given where we were last season. But I think as well on Saturday, one thing that I wanted to mention was that, yes, it is hard to build any sort of platform when you don't have uh, a decent, you know, scrum and, and, and set piece. And that was definitely an area where Sale were, were, were being targeted a lot on Saturday. But then the fact of the matter was we really struggled to play possession or territory well for the entire game. And actually, one of the things I wanted to mention is a very specific passage in the first half where Glasgow had been on the front foot for the entire first sort of nine or ten minutes. And we actually won a scrum penalty um, for the first, you know, at the very first scrum, I think it was Jake Cooper-Woolley won it on sales behalf. And we we kicked it to halfway. First real sort of chance to play some phases. Um, We win the ball off the top of the line now. The ball immediately goes to, to Luke James as the crash ball runner at 12. And actually, Sam Johnson and Nick Grigg and Adam Hastings were able to um, apply the choke tackle and turn the ball over. And I think one of the things that I wanted to discuss was the fact that we really struggled to put phase play together consistently on Saturday. And a big part of that was our selection in the midfield. Um, I think James and Redpath um, was an, an interesting combination. I think it was made more out of necessity, but I don't think that particularly worked. I think playing both Dupriers together in the back row was another issue in that they didn't sort of adhere to, to much of a game plan or, or by virtue of their presence, we, we sort of stopped playing around a, a structured game plan a little bit because of how loose that those two players like to play and they are so ball dominant. Um, and I think we have to look a little bit at AJ McGinty as well, who I, who I thought really struggled to move the chains, you know, on a, you know, on a tough flat pitch, you know, which we know, which we knew coming into the game was going to be a factor because it's 4G, it doesn't change week over week we really struggled to get the ball moving and play with the sort of pace and precision that Glasgow were able to, which is why we were on the back foot. And that also accentuated our problems at the set piece as well, because the only times that we were able to to get the ball, we were turning the ball over straight away, whether or not it was at a line out of scrum or, or in terms of phase play. So obviously, Alex, I, I mentioned quite a few different sort of themes there, and I kind of want to tie, tie it all together because I think it's important to... to to know that this was a holistically poor performance from Sale, especially in that first half. But what did you sort of make of the selection choices that were made? Well, I think I wanted to sort of ask you about this because um, I didn't actually watch the full game um, and the highlights aren't very um, revealing. But you look at that Wasps game last week 
Um, and we really struggled at the breakdown, and we really looked quite lethargic, and that was with Rob Capri at 10. And then when AJ come, came on, we seemed to get things going a little bit more. Um, but I think, you know, was it the same as that Wasps game in terms of the breakdown wasn't great and we weren't, you know, putting phases together? Because in that Wasps game, I don't think we put two phases together for the first half. Um, every time we had a phase, we had to drop the ball and got turned over. Was it that sort of continuous theme? Or, you know, where were we getting beat? Was it up front? Was it in the backs? Because what my issue is, is that we seem to be having the same issues come out of every game and we're changing the team every game. So we can look at players and go, oh, I'm not sure about Luke James and Cam Redpath in the centre. But at the end of the day, the issues remain the same. Our attack isn't functioning and we're not competing at set piece. And if we're looking at, you know, we say holistically poor performance, we can't then put that down to, you know, warming up into the game or warming up into the season. There's got to be something else because is it the chopping and changing of the team or is it the coaching of the team? Because at the end of the day, we keep seeing the same issues come out of the games. And I think that's the worry that we've started slowly and it's just not, nothing's coming together at the moment. And that's kind of my worry from it all. But, you know, this is a way it was going with, you know, a, a loss is no bad thing. A bonus point loss is no bad thing. But I think the wider concern is that our season still hasn't got going. And for probably the 10th season in a row, we've started slowly. So, you know, but a question to both of you, I guess. Um, you know, what what did you see on Saturday compared to, say, that Wasps game or, you know, prior to the season that is the issue with us just looking such a clunky side at the moment? Well, I, I just wanted to. I, I agree with what some of uh, Alex has said, and I'll also try and answer the the question as I go along. But I think one of our major issues in this game, and I've noticed it for the last few games as well, and, and nobody else seems to be picking it up, which I think is a bit disturbing, is Papier. Right? He scored a wonder non-try, but other than that, his passing from the base of the ruck is pretty awful and what happens is you know all good scrumars they get to the ruck and they're able to pass from the floor in one movement what papier does is he picks the ball up and has to and is and he has to sort of wind up you'd call it so he has to he has to pull the ball back in order to get the fizz in it to get it out and what that does is just basically take away all of the time from your fly half so what McGinty was having to do was drop deeper and deeper and deeper. And so we were just running our moves as backs from so deep with a rushing defence, right, that we were just playing either in front of them or we were playing under a lot of pressure. Now, if you have Van Rensburg at 12, McGinty can just play, you know, either a, a, a crash ball pop out or an inside scissors. And Van Rensburg will just bash his way up to the gain line, probably not over it, considering how far behind we've started on the gain line. But it does enable us to recycle possession and, and, and go again. And the defence has to reset. What was happening with us was that we were getting tackled behind the gain line and our forwards having to come round the corner and having to work really, really hard. So we're not taking any momentum into contact. You know, then we're not taking advantage of the, uh, you know, the the likes of the Dupreeers who can get beyond the contact and offload the ball. Because once you get a defence moving backwards, that's when you start scoring tries. So I think that's one of our major issues, and it was happening with Rob Dupreeer as well. In that we're just playing a bit too deep, and we're playing when we do do some fancy moves. I was in the crowd last weekend again when we, when we played Wasp, and a few of the crowd thought, "Oh, that's a fancy move." Yeah, but we didn't actually gain any. 
any um, distance. You know, we might pass the ball out to the wing and, and they do some nice things, but we're not actually getting over the gain line. So without Van Rensburg, we need to play in a structure that helps us do that. And we need a we need a scrum half who can get the ball as quickly as possible into the fly half's hands, who then starts to try to dictate play. I, I suppose we have become so faff-centric where Faf just creates things and you don't know what he's going to do next, that actually we don't have a 10 to pull the strings in the traditional way. And I think this is a, a major issue. So yes, Luke James and Redpath were underpowered, but they were, they were playing with 25% possession on the back foot, you know, with the ball coming to you too slowly from the nine and miles behind the gain line. So, you know, I, I, I don't think you can point the finger at them. The issues are set piece was crap. We had 25% possession for the first 30 minutes um, and McGinty was, was playing t- too far behind the gain line. So I think that that's, that's, uh, that's my thoughts on that. But I suppose, Lewis, the question is for you. You were in the crowd. You were there. You got the feeling of it. What was the sense from yourself and the other sale fans around you? Um, well, it's kind of difficult to see a lot of what was happening on the pitch because we were so low down and there was a pole directly in front of my seat, which wasn't great either. Um, but I think you, you've sort of hit the nail on the head with your analysis there, James, in terms of how deep Sale were playing because I think there's, there was two issues that I saw in terms of our backs play. The first is that Redpath and James definitely did not work. And I don't think that's on them. I think that is not, not necessarily even on the coaching staff. I think, like I said before, the selection was, was out of necessity with no Van Rensburg available. And they played like two players with a combined age of 39. You know, the, the, the physicality wasn't quite there. Um, they don't have the capacity, you know, to, to, to be Van Rensburg light and, and charge the tackles and play off the game line. Um, I think another thing that really needs addressing with, with that pairing as well is that I think we're actually missing a lot of foot speed in our midfield. Van Rensburg is quick, but his best attribute is his power. I think one of the reasons why we struggled to score a lot of tries all season is we don't really have anyone in the sort of 13 channel who can attack the outside shoulder and then allow the sort of opportunity to bring your wingers in as well because you've got the defence back pedalling, which goes back to what you were saying, James. I think that's a really, really important point. And that's one of the reasons why we've struggled so much in terms of attacking play this season Um, and I'm not entirely sure what what the remedy is for that but I think that was definitely on show on Saturday the other thing I noticed was that I think it was actually a really poor game from AJ McGinty and I don't know again he played very well in the second half so it kind of felt like maybe it is a coaching thing I'm not sure but in a situation like that where we don't have the crash ball runner um, and our best attribute in our back line is probably our wingers, who were very quick and very good under the high ball. We should have been a lot more aggressive in kicking behind Glasgow, um, kicking you know to, to ground, kicking for territory. You've got to remember as well, it's, it's a 4G pitch. The ball bounces in, in, in a slightly different way. There's no reason why we shouldn't have been sort of attacking um, you know, Van der Merwe on his wing and getting McGuigan or Yard or whoever else to sort of chase it and really put pressure on them. You've got to remember as well, you had Tommy Seymour at 15, who's not a natural fullback either. So the fact that we were having to play very, very deep because of Glasgow's defence and we weren't really targeting their back three, which is something we did really well the week before, was a little bit disappointing. It's something I would have liked to see more from McGinty. And actually, when we started to put territory and phase play together, one of the reasons why we were able to do that was because McGinty started kicking out of hand and pinning them back and it, it worked to really good effect and you do have to sit there polling your face and wonder why was this only happening 55, 60 minutes in rather from the start and like you said James we just resorted to playing very, very deep playing very, very 
sort of passively in a lot of ways. And actually, even though Glasgow had a blitz defence in operation, they basically stopped um, after they broke past um, past, the, past where the game line would be and just let Sale play in front of them. And actually, all we were doing was running out into one-out tackles over and over again. And we never really put them on the heels and sort of pinned them back. I'm, I'm going to open this up to, to, to either review uh, now in terms of the sort of defining moment of the game, which was Van der Merwe's try. You go back, you watch it, you know, it's, it's again... Glasgow getting around the corner very quickly, moving the ball through the hands. It's a great sort of um, 180 pass from, from San Johnson to Van der Merwe. And then obviously Van der Merwe cuts a really good line inside which is and, and goes to a hole that was sort of opened up by some pretty passive defence from the sail line, but also quite a bad positional mistake from Marlon Yard, who's, who's playing a little bit too deep and has to come up inside to rush Van der Merwe. And in the process, leaves a massive hole behind him for him to cut straight through when he when he goes off his left. But for either of you, you know, the, the sort of defining moment of the game, do we start thinking that was kind of symptomatic of everything we saw from Sale on Saturday in that they were just a little bit too slow, they were a little bit too uh, reactive rather than proactive and, you know, just sort of second best on the day. Yeah, I agree. But you've got to put it in the context of the amount of tackles and the amount of defending we were doing. I do think we were missing too many tackles as the proportion of the tackles we were doing. And, and I'm sure that Alex will pick that out next in the stats. Uh, we did miss too many one-on-one tackles and that helped them get beyond us. But, you know, when you happen to work as much as we were, because Glasgow are one of these teams, they're a bit like, you know, Argentina and, and I know Scotland are trying to play us as well where you know, they just keep the ball and they'll run the ball from everywhere, even if it's in their 22. And that's what they did in the first half. And we were having to do so much hard work in defence. I say it was a miracle that we only conceded 13. So it turned out to be the turning point in the game because it was such a low scoring affair and, and some of the quality of play was pretty awful. But considering the amount of defence defending we had to do, especially in that first half, you know, it was a miracle that we we managed to contain them. So yeah, Yard did come out, but he's put, he's probably worried about some ineffective defence in, you know, on the inside of him, and and also our, our 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 defensive line was stressed because we were constantly moving, we're having to complete constantly get around the corner. You know, we're having to put in some really you know fearsome uptight hits and trying to slow the ball up, which is really difficult against Glasgow. So I think it was a, just a result of phase after phase rugby for the majority of, of, of the first half and it was it was gonna come eventually and it was a it was the only surprise about it really, frankly, was that it hadn't come before. Yeah, in isolation it looks like really poor defence, but I do agree that, you know, our defence isn't bad and I think um it is just one of those where when you you know that's thirty five minutes into a first half where we haven't really done anything. So at some point you're going to crack. What's frustrating is that, as I say, when you look at it in isolation, we've actually got more numbers than them and it is just like getting sucked into to one one player carrying the ball and a good little offload out the back. But, you know, you're going to concede a try if you play like we did in the first half. And you are right, James. You know, the, the fact that it wasn't more is probably sort of credit to our defence overall combined with Glasgow not really you know, taking the chances um, as effectively as they should have done in the first half. And, you know, to come out 13-0 down um, is genuinely quite a positive result, I think, for us from that first half. And that try, yeah, you are right, it's the defining moment in the end of the game. But I don't think at half-time anyone thought that try was going to be the difference between a Glasgow win and a Glasgow loss, did they? 
No, I think that's a very fair point to make. And and obviously, like I said off the top, to be beat by a team in the Champions Cup as well, who only scored 13 points, is very disheartening because self-defence on the whole was actually very, very good. You know, you look at actually the amount of like defenders beaten and clean breaks, you know, it's five clean breaks apiece, 19 defenders beaten for, for Glasgow, 17 for Sale. It's, it's a pretty even game overall. You know, even the possession of the territory, yes, it's quite heavily skewed in Glasgow's favour, but that kind of evens out in the second half as well. And, and it means that I think rather than having a referendum on Sale's defence, I think the bigger questions again have to come back about um, our attacking structure, which has just, you know, once again, when we saw this a lot last season, just kind of looks a bit of a mess at the moment. There's no real structure in play. Um, we have a very talented backline that doesn't seem to be getting the ball out to our most sort of potent finishers. And I think this game was sort of symptomatic of, of, of a pretty poor, well, I shouldn't say poor, I should say slow start to the season for sale. Not necessarily in terms of results, but in terms of attacking play. And I wanted to get the thoughts of you two as well on on how you see sort of Jean-Luc and Dan Dupree within this. Because from my view on Saturday, being in the ground, we really struggle as a team when we have both of those players playing. And I think a big problem at the moment is because we don't have sort of quite a rigid structure to play to, a lot of our game plan at the moment seems to be we'll get it to Dan Dupree or get it to Jean-Luc Dupree They'll take the ball into contact. They'll they'll throw a bit of a miracle pass or, or a, you know a cheeky offload, and all of a sudden we'll be flying. And that was a little bit what we saw against Wasps in that that was sort of seemed to be the centre of our game plan, especially in the forwards. And it didn't really work on Saturday. I don't think either of them had particularly bad games. I think you guys would probably agree with me. The team looked a lot better when John Ross came on. Uh, in the second half and we had a carrier in the back row who was a little bit more ready to take the ball just into contact rather than trying to link the play which we'd absolutely love to see I'm a, a firm proponent of that but I think on Saturday we sort of got found out a little bit with our reluctance to, to not just give the ball to the Dupree twins and, and sort of let them make something out of nothing Alex? Yeah I think but this is a real problem for three or four seasons we haven't had an attacking structure that can break teams down and for a long time we've relied off sort of first players ball and um you know individual brilliance to score tries that's you know we we really struggle to build sustained sort of pressure and then convert it um and i think you know that's the thing at this level you're going to get found out because you can't just get a miracle pass from dan de and open up a team and, you know, score an intercept try. It, it genuinely, I think our attack has been quite poor for a long time. And it's sort of been disguised by the fact that we've had very good individual players or, you know, someone like Byron McGuigan and Dennis Holmona on the wings who have got a really good intercept or Faf de Klerk, um putting pressure on at the base and that troubling teams. And then, you know, we sort of turn over the ball and counter attack and we're very good at that. But I think, you know, we've, we've built our success off a really good defence and our attack is just... And I, I don't think it's been all season. I don't think it was last season, as we know. Um, we, we're just not creating the opportunities and not building pressure like we should. You two may disagree or, or agree. I'd, I'd be interested to get your thoughts. But I just think, you know, at this level, we need a more structured, more sort of... I don't know whether it's better coaching or whatever, but our attack just looked looks clueless and has for quite some time, and I don't see how we sort of we sort of fix that. 
I was gonna, I was going to say, James, my, my sort of summary is, is quite concise, so then I'll let you do the heavy lifting on this. But I, I do genuinely think, top to bottom, our team is too talented, especially in the back line, to be consistently among the league and the tournament when we're in Europe's lowest um, points and try scorers. Yeah, I, I agree that our attack was very poor last year and we've kind of continued this year. It's that feeling of something's not clicking. Uh, and we, we, we spent the whole of last year saying, well, we've not clicked yet, but we're still there or thereabouts for top six. When we do click, we're going to be difficult. You know, we're going to beat everybody. We still haven't clicked. It's not happened. You know, we did the uh, the game with Irish and other than that, we've played poorly in every other game. So I do think there are questions of, of, of Paul Deacon and, and the way we go about attacking. But I think there are some simple things that we can fix. The, but the first thing I want to say is that, you know, not having a good attacking game didn't lose the game. This weekend, um, you know, what losses the game was, you know, not much possession and a very poor set piece. Um, and, and also, as I said, very slow getting the ball away. I, I think that, by the way, Dan Dupree for me had an excellent game. Uh, I thought he was he was very, very good. I thought Jean-Luc was, was quite poor. But where I do agree is that we're not balanced in the back row. And I made that point two weeks ago I think it was um, saying that when Jean-Luc and um, and Dan play in the back row together what you don't have is somebody who's also clearing out a ruck and we had the same issue against Wasps we're really really struggling to get quick ball right so it's quite simple you give it to somebody they run as hard as they can they get over the gain line then we throw enough people into the ruck to clear them out yeah get their bloody hands off the ball and then bump ball straight out again even if it's a one-out runner that's still difficult to defend South Africa do that Saracens do that X to do that you can do that and be effective as long as you're coming at pace and you're getting quick ball and you're recycling ball very well neither Dan Dupre or Jean-Luc want to be the people to be putting their shoulders in and clear the ruck right but they could be the carriers I think you're right they're, they're so obsessed with looking for the offload then they're not necessarily just looking at going okay well I'm bigger than all of you and I'm just going to literally just smash into you and, and get over that's why we're better with Jono because he comes around the corner and he just carries the ball right and he's really good at recycling the ball he also puts his shoulder into the into all the rocks when he's not carrying and, and, and helps clear out you know he's not looking for this kind of like standing outside the 10 and hoping to just to, to score a try so I think you can carry um one of them not necessarily both of them certainly not both in the um in, in, in the back row and and as I said this rook clear out we've got to sort out it, we nearly lost the game against Wasps because of it as well then we need a 9 who can pass the ball quickly off the base then we need a 10 who's playing flat we don't have a 10 in McGinty and Rob Dupree like we had with Cipriani you know they're not going to be creating a, 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 you know loads of things from, from 10 but you can keep it simple and, 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 and you know, as I said you know if we have invested all of this money into the forwards you kind of expect us to be having more possession and be able to get momentum into the game I think we're putting a lot of focus on this on our attack and just talking about the backs I don't see it like that at all I think our main issues with our attacking structure is the way that we're getting momentum we're keeping the ball we're recycling the ball and we're carrying the ball right our backs at the moment aren't playing on front foot ball in the way that they should be. That's my view and where it differs may be um, slightly different, but but I will agree that our attack has been a problem so definitely since Cipriani left and, and, and but really obviously since Addison and Haley uh, have gone. Um, it's um, We've gone from being, you know, amazing to watch uh, um, to, you know, pretty awful really. Yeah, I think that, that last point you made, James, is, is, is really interesting. Um, 
in regards to how our backs are playing off, off, well, not off front football, effectively, off back football. Because, and I think this is where we have to start scrutinising the, the fly halves a little bit more. And this is why I, I am a very sort of self-professed AJ McGinty fan. Uh, there's a lot I like about him, and I think he, there's definitely a place for him in this team. But it's at this point that you're starting to say, well, well, if we are, if we're not getting that go forward from our forwards for whatever reason, we need a, a fly half who can play a little bit more heads up um, and actually sort of kick the ball out of hand a little bit and you know give give our back something to do because I think one of the issues we had on Saturday was you know Yard had the ball you know for for a handful of carries if that same with Byron McGuigan um, and they weren't in the game at all and, and Simon Hammersley is another player he's, he's I think he's been, you know, sort of very sort of sound positionally, but we've not really seen anything out of him going forward. You know, he had a couple of plays on Saturday where he was at first receiver, but even then, the ball's just going left to right. And I think we were a little bit naive not to start with Rob Dupree. I don't think he's had a great start to the season, but I think on, on the, the turf on, on Saturday, we saw what having someone who's a little bit quicker in terms of foot speed, what a difference that can make, you know, given how well Adam Hastings played. I would have started Rob Dupree personally. And actually, we looked a lot better when we had both McGinty and Dupree on because we actually started to have a little bit of variety in our attack. But I, I think, you know, it's... It's fair to say, you know, James Redpath, McGuigan, the entire backline didn't play particularly well. But then I think that speaks to larger structural problems. And and some of that responsibility does have to rest on McGinty's shoulders. Because I think actually on a different day, a different fly half would have seen that we were struggling in certain areas and changed the game a little bit. And I do wonder whether or not that might have been Rob Dupria, who we know is probably a little bit more... um, relaxed about kicking out of hand and, and kicking in play. Um, so I think that would have been a very, very sort of interesting selection choice. Um, I don't want to be too negative. Though. I know we've gone nearly 40 minutes now. And it's all been kind of a little bit doom and gloom. I just want to flag really quickly. I thought Cunio stays in, had his best game in a cell shirt so far. So he had a really good game um, in the scrum. We looked a little bit more solid uh, when, when he came on and replaced Harrison, who I didn't necessarily think had a great game. And obviously he scored you know, quite, quite a good little try as well. Quite a smart run as well to sort of very slowly hit the line flat. If you watch it back, you know, he sort of he sort of makes the run uh, a bit like Rob Webber, but he actually he's quite slow about doing it, which means when Papi does get the ball out, um, Ustazen's on the gain line, he catches it, and all he has to do is sort of fall over, um, although he did show good strength to actually score that try. So really, really encouraging performance by him. It does sort of, again, raise the question why we're, we're, we seem to be trying to fit a, a square peg in a round hole with, with playing him as the backup tight head. Any of the sort of standout players from you in, in terms of positive performances from, from Saturday? Um, no, I think you're right with Ustazen. I've already mentioned Dandy Prier. I thought had a good game. I thought Jono uh, changed the game when he came on. I thought Rob Dupria looked good and his kick to touch was excellent. That nearly won us the game. Um, I do think by then we were getting more momentum. I don't think just suddenly having a you know uh, an extra fly off on the pitch suddenly transformed us, but. I think it, you know, at that point in the game, we were on the front foot and looked like we were going to win. So I thought he looked good. And a bit like McGinty came on against Voss and won us the game. You know, Rob Dupree nearly came on and, and nicked it for us. So, um, you know, and actually carried the ball quite well as well coming from 12. So that, that gives us an extra option there. And it's good to know. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you too. I don't think there's um, anyone else who absolutely covered themselves in glory. But yeah, Dan Dupree, um I thought, had a 
had a very good game. I think he's had a really good season. And I think um, we were talking about Jean-Luc and he, what the impact he had in January. I think we've seen the, the effect that, you know, as James said, he's barely played since he was with us last time, whereas Dan looks a lot fresher and a lot more active. So I think, um, yeah, he's, he's been a really good signing. Um, and I think had a big, had a big sort of, um, not only impact on the game, but Please. statistical impact, which brings me quite nicely onto the stats, if, you, if you'll indulge me. Absolutely, let's hear it. It definitely deserves it after that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so Dan Dupria, um top carrier in the game, top tackler in the game, and second most metres made after DTH van der Merwe. Um, really, really good game from him on, on that evidence. Um, overall, um, Lewis, you mentioned this before, but, you know, the, the, the stats sort of pull out quite an even game and I think it'd be interesting to look at this first half versus second half but you know made the same number of metres well but we were one metre out we made 254 Glasgow made 255 off roughly the same amount of carries around 120 um, you know defenders beaten as you said 19 for Glasgow 17 for sale um, offloads 3 for Glasgow and 15 for sale um, which probably speaks to that sort of having two debris on the pitch probably did most of them between them um, Defensively, we're pretty strong, about 89% tackle success rate, 159 made, 19 missed. Um, just dive down into those numbers a little bit further. As we said, Dan Dupria, uh, really strong game. He made 18 tackles. Big shout out to Ross Harrison, who made 15 tackles with non-missed and only played 42 minutes. Um which was 0.36 tackles a minute, I worked out, because um, I'm an accountant, that's what I do. Um, but generally the forwards, uh, a lot of defensive shift with a load of tackles. The starting eight between them made 101 tackles of our 159, and then Johnny Ross came off the bench and made 13 and didn't miss any. So pretty big defensive shift, and as you said, Lewis, it sort of speaks to that. Relatively decent defensive performance. Um, shout out to AJ McGinty as well, who made nine out of ten tackles. Um, I think, yeah, you know, we we said that the attack was the issue, and also um, set piece. So in attack, not a massive amount of meters made. Dan Dupree has said made the most um, for us with forty-four meters, and then by McGregor thirty-eight, and AJ McGinty thirty-five. Um, but really, a pretty poor game for, by our standards. We usually average about three meters per carry, and we're looking at sort of two in this game, um, which you know is part of the game because Glasgow were very similar. But still, you know, that's I think that was our struggle. That you know, when we're down at that sort of two meters per carry. Um, we when you factor in all the sort of you know by McGregor breaks and running from fullback and stuff, it really shows what a struggle it was. Um, turnover was pretty poor. We conceded sixteen, eight of them were drop balls, and obviously um, the crucial one was a drop ball right at the end. Um, and then just on set piece, so scrums one hundred percent apparently, um, which. I'd be interested to get your thoughts on after afterwards, Lewis, because um, you know from from what it looked like in the game, I think 100% on scrums is always a bit of a weird one because it doesn't actually tell the tale. Um, and then lineouts, obviously, we know that we got five out of nine, um, three missed by Acker and one by Rob Weber. So I think if you're looking at the stats and sort of pulling stuff out, what you, what you look at is that defensively we're pretty solid, but we just didn't get going in attacking-wise. And we gave up the ball too easily and didn't win it back because, you know, conceding a lot of turnovers 
and then you're not winning the ball on your line out, it is how do you put those phases together? Um, and that probably drives the sort of attacking numbers. Um, but the defence is there, you know, to go away to Glasgow, um, have a 90% tackle success rate, only concede 13 points. I mean, that's the positive you pull out of it. Um, but as we know, you know, it, that doesn't tell the whole story. And probably what tells the whole story is 45% possession and 43% territory. Just beating on the day. And you can't win games really with that. Not at this level, not at Champions Cup. You can't win games with minority or that, you know, that far back. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, things to work on. But there is always hope. Yeah, I think really quickly on the scrum, um, we, we looked okay with the ball on our own putting. I think it was when we didn't have the ball and actually when we were trying to be a little bit more aggressive and force the issue against Glasgow, we just kept getting wheeled in the scrum um, and we just gave away some sort of silly penalties over and over. And it was interesting that we really seemed to struggle on the tight head side and um, I, don't have the, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like Jacob Woolley after that very first scrum where he did win the penalty, he got pinged a couple of times and then we took him off and Wilgriff John came on and he got pinged a couple of times anyway. So I don't know. I don't think, we're, we're, I don't think we've got the right balance uh, in terms of the scrum, both in terms of pushing and in terms of sort of our prop play. <laughs> I don't think it helps obviously taking Weber off and putting Van der Merwe in as well, given that we lose a lot of weight as James touched upon um, last week. But yeah, def- def- a bit of a strange one because obviously off our own ball we were okay, but it was when we didn't have the ball that we that we really started to struggle. Uh, and speaking of struggling this season, um, I think Saracens might struggle now that they've had to accept a 35-point deduction in the Premiership. We we didn't talk about this much last week just because we didn't really get chance. But obviously the news that broke today is that Saracens will not, uh, after all, be appealing their 35-point deduction and £5.3 million fine uh, after they were found guilty by an independent inquiry of um, violating the salary cap for, I believe, the, the last three seasons consecutively. Uh, so that means uh, Saracens, unsurprisingly, are now bottom of the Gallagher Premiership on minus 22 points. And by virtue of the news today, so are now up to third. Uh, Alex, uh, you, you said yourself you're an accountant, you're a bit of a numbers man. Uh, I imagine Saracens might not be in this position if it was you auditing their accounts. But regardless, what did you make of the news that, that Saracens are now going to have to to accept that penalty um, and uh, obviously face the, the, the points deduction that comes with it? Um, it's it's the right thing for the game. And I think, I think there is an issue around the salary cap and how it's used. But um, I think ultimately, you know, Without that salary cap, you would just get Saracens running away with the league every season. So having it in place is the right thing. It's the rules. They broke them. Um, 35 points is a hell of a harsh deduction. Um, if they go down, I really, it will be a, a massive shock. I, I don't think they will, but you know, you never know. Um, I think yeah, there's a bit of sort of people getting on the high horse about all this. Um, and I sort of think that Sarries have done something wrong, but it's you know there were there were worse crimes. And, you know when you've got people like Danny Kerr and Chris Robshaw coming out and bleating on about it, um, you know they play for Quins, and you know it's short memories, isn't it? You know ten years ago, Bloodgate was going on. Is that any worse? Is it any better? At the end of the day, it's breaking the rules. They've broken the rules. They've been punished. Um, sort of accept it and and move on. Um, for me, I think it's the right thing. Um, it makes the league a really interesting one this season. Gives us a massive opportunity um, to push for top four and top six. 
Um, so from a sale point of view, we'll take it, but let's not sort of get on our, you know, this this was a decision made by the Saris board, not Saris fans, not really Saris players probably. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, yeah, uh, let's just accept it for what it is. It's the right decision for me, um, but let's not sort of revel in it. It's not good for the game. It's not a good look. Um, so I think we need to learn the lessons and move on. Um, I'm open to dissenting views. Uh, I think it's the, you know I think it's the right decision from Saracen's point of view. I think you know they need to know what they need to do this year, and uh, from a player's point of view, they need to be focused on what they need to achieve, and what they need to achieve is stay up. And uh, I think if they do the same as last year in the Premiership, then they come tenth. Uh, but you've got to remember that there are a lot of their players this year of have played, you know, all the warm-up games for England. They've gone to the World Cup and played for England. They've only got a certain amount of games they're going to be able to play. You're not going to want to play them in the Champions Cup, are you? If, you know, it's going to be fine margins for going down in the Premiership. And that could, that could you know, it, it, I'd say it might ruin the club, but I'm sure, you know, Ray, Nigel Ray will stay uh, by the club. Um, you know, I think they've made a mistake. You get punished. It's really, really harsh punishment, both financially and in points. But I think that's the right thing. Um, I think just relegating them straight out would have been the wrong thing. This all this talk of stripping of titles is completely um, ridiculous. Um, you know, I think that we don't know any of the details. And from my contacts at the uh, at the club, you know, it's the main issue seems to be around these investment funds for, for players. Um, and you know they can stop paying into those funds, and and then they're they're thereabouts for the um, for the uh, for the salary cap. I do think it's ridiculous that um, you know it, sorry, there's two things. It's ridiculous that um, uh, that they've produced so many players for England, um, and you know a lot of the argument around that is well, you know that's what happens. Players become more expensive, and you've got to make decisions. It's the same rules for everyone. Yeah, well that's that's kind of true but you are getting penalized for producing the best players from your academy which cannot be right what i would do and it'd be interesting to see what the viewers uh, sorry the listeners um think of this idea would be to say right let's reduce the salary cap we're actually going to reduce the total amount of money you can spend on your squad but we're going to say that you can have unlimited number of academy players yeah and that includes people you've produced by your academy they're not included in the cap so Maritoshi, Jamie George, uh, George Cruz, you know, all of those guys not included in the cap because they've been produced by Saracens and they shouldn't be getting punished for producing players that become more expensive, um, you know, because uh, otherwise they get put in an impossible position where you either let go the players that you've produced or you let go the players that you are producing which cannot be the right way of doing it. The incentive should be to produce um, the former, which is producing players who become more expensive and go on to play for England. So I do feel sorry about that. I also feel, I think Nigel Ray is one of the, you know, if he's made an error in this, then he deserves to get absolutely hounded. But what he's done for Saracens is beyond, and for the game of rugby, you know, without benefactors, we wouldn't have a professional game. So, you know, yeah, they might have gone over on the cap or whatever, but without people like Nigel Ray, then there wouldn't be a, a club there. And what Saracen has done for the local community, um, they've set up a free school. Um, so, you know, there's more places for kids to go and get educated that, that didn't used to exist there. But before, um, you know, they've also got their, their foundation thing that's going really, really well. So there's still some great things about Saracens as a club. I think this is the right punishment for now. Yeah, I think there needs to be questions about how they 
uh, are transparent to show that they are adhering by the salary cap in the future. Um, but I, I think that let's not just decide, oh, well, Saracens didn't deserve to win all those cups and they're no longer a good club. I think we should still give their players a round of applause when they come and, and they come and play, and we should um, have a pint with their fans as normal. You know, there's been some poor decisions taken somewhere and they've got penalised for it. Okay, I'd, very, very quickly, on that first point, I, I do disagree quite significantly. We're not going to go into this because this isn't a Saracens podcast. Um but obviously, I think one of the one of the issues with with your argument, James, is that there is already incentives in place to produce academy players, and there are benefits that are part of that. Um, and that is obviously the fact that if you produce players for the international uh, for the international team, you are rewarded with a st- uh, with uh, with an exemption in the salary cap, and it's the same with academy credits as well. Like you, uh, you do benefit from having um, produced those players. I, I agree with I agree with with, with sort of. Some of the sentiment because it does seem unfair to penalise uh, well teams for producing you know excellent players and 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 players who are representing the, you know the home nation. But I do think every other team in the league has to make these decisions about players to let go, and that is part and parcel of the fact that you are signing you know some very very talented players and rewarding the players uh, who you have produced and who have gone on to become internationals as well. The second thing um, on the salary cap, there is no reason for. Uh, a, a league that operates with a salary cap to not transparently publish all players' salaries. Any issues regarding salary cap evasion um, or any sort of sort of underhand dealings would be removed immediately if all players' salaries are, are public, and uh, and that includes bonuses and all the other stipends that do count towards the salary cap. Uh, I don't like the, the sort of idea about well, how would you like your salary to be sort of made public? I'm not paid hundreds of thousands of pounds a year to be a professional. Sp- Sportsmen, you know that that's just part and parcel of the game, and that's something that you sign up for if you want to be a famous sportsman. And the third is just about the fact that I don't necessarily agree that the club uh, should have its titles stripped, but it would be interesting to see what people thought about it if it turned out it was a doping offence instead, because you're still getting an advantage one way or the other. Would we feel so strongly about Saracens keeping the titles if it did turn out to be uh, something that that people seem to think is a little bit more uh, insidious? I, I, I completely agree with you, by the way, on, on publishing player salaries. I, I, I cannot understand why we didn't do that. Mm. Um, but on the acad- on the academy credits and the players playing for England, the, you don't get anywhere near the amount of credits that you should be getting. I, I, I just think it's... Um, it's. Uh, I appreciate that at least everyone plays by the same rules now and Saracens have broken it, so you, you cripple them. I suppose I'm just trying to be positive to think about, you know, you want to incentivise clubs to keep producing high-quality players, even if they become very, very expensive. And therefore, my idea of saying, OK, why have we got these two people that haven't played in the Premiership that could be outside of the cap? It's the wrong way around. You should be having academy players who don't need to be part of the cap and reduce the cap overall. Um, but absolutely, Saracens have made decisions around you know people like Will Skelton, um, people like Liam Williams. Um, and uh, I think that the main issue, and we, this is why we don't have the detail, um, and, and this is the issue, um, because I think the main issue is around these investment funds and, and whether they should be included in the cap because investments can go up or down. I think that it's hard... This is the main issue. And what's so frustrating is this ruling basically is kept behind closed doors. So we know that they're guilty, but you're not sure of any of the details. So I, I, I think that, that the arguments kind of on both, you know, both sides are kind of getting a bit out of control a little bit because we don't have all this detail. But on publishing salaries, I mean, 
I can't believe that we didn't do that right from the beginning. Uh, that's a major issue. Just a point on the academy thing as well. Um, I think what you've got to factor in is that you know there's no salary cap in France, and we want to encourage that sort of English club level of competition in Europe. So yes, we all abide by the same rules in the Premiership, but I think there has to be some recognition from Premiership rugby and the wider English game that to be competitive in Europe, if you want, if you want that, you di- you're coming up against an Irish sort of federation who hold the best players back you know the Irish Scottish and Welsh teams can afford to hold the best players back to the Champions Cup because of the lack of relegation the French teams can afford to spend what they want so there is going to have to be a little bit of a you know adaptation from Premiership Rugby in order to keep that competitiveness because you look at the team English teams have been competitive in Europe for the last four or five years it's only Saris and, you know, I think there's something in that. I think, you know, something needs to work out, but that's probably a discussion for a whole other podcast. Yeah, we're encroaching on an hour now and we could easily do another hour on this. And, and it's interesting that you finish, Alex, talking about competitiveness in Europe because obviously that's what we're going to focus on for our final segment on this week's podcast, which is obviously La Rochelle's visit to the AJ Bell on Saturday, and uh, on Sunday, sorry, and Sale's second game in this year's Champions Cup. Uh, so obviously La Rochelle, a slightly familiar foe after last year's European antics uh, in the Challenge Cup semi-final, but now the two teams are meeting as part of uh, the Premier club competition in Europe this year and here to give us a lowdown uh, on our on our visitors and guests on Sunday uh, as always is James right I feel like I've been a bit fighty on this <laughs> on this episode uh, doesn't bode well for the rest of my week when I'm this grumpy on a Monday but uh, okay La Rochelle as, as you say familiar foe I think them getting beaten comfortably at home to Exeter resets the group massively actually um, losing at home is always tough to do in Europe and, and still qualify from the group but certainly if you lose your first two games you, you, you basically never qualify so they come to us needing to win um, but so do we and we also want revenge on on them after last season and they will also have one eye on the top 14 as well because they're ninth after nine games um, so they start at the end of August, uh, the top 14 this year, which was a late start for, for, for them. Um, but after nine games, only being ninth is a bit of a shock with the squad and the, and the performances that they've had last season. Um, they're on a negative points difference of minus 34, which is the second worst in the league. Um, they are still in touch with the playoffs. Uh, don't forget, it's the top six in France make the playoffs. But I think to do that, they will need to focus on the top 14. So I think we can safely say that They'll already be a little bit downhearted after losing at home. Um, and they'll know deep down if they come to the AJ Bell and lose, they're pretty much gone from the group, which will really affect how the group might play out. Um, you know, considering that we have to go to them later in the competition, if they're already knocked out um, at, from that, then that could be more beneficial to us. Um, they've lost five games. Uh, they've lost to Claremont, Montpellier, uh, Bayonne, Toulon and Lyon, all away from home. So they haven't won away from home all season. I want everybody listening to this podcast to touch anything that's wood in tight um, because you would think, that, okay, well, they're not good travellers, um, but there's, you've got to win away probably uh, at some point in the season, but let's hope it's not us. Their squad is stable. So if we're thinking about a comparison year on year, their squad is pretty much exactly the same. No one out of note. Brock James is in um, to cover 10. He's now 38. But this week also, I think I think it's Jules Polisson um, from Stade Francais is, is signed to join La Rochelle. I think it's La Rochelle. 
That that is correct. Yeah, Jules Pierre's son has, uh, has joined uh, last week. Yeah, I don't think we'll we'll see him this, this this close and quick turnaround. But you know, he's he's obviously a really really good player and gives back up to um, to West at ten. But my question to you guys is, you know, who should we look out for? And and the second question is. You know, what about sale, you know, in terms of um, selection? Is there anybody that you think we need to bring in? I'll, I'll, I'll jump in here. Uh, having seen this terror as a part in La Rochelle last, uh, well, earlier this year, uh, Levana Batia, um, sort of, it's a very talismatic sort of centre, come flanker uh, for La Rochelle. He's, he's an absolute talisman for them and is an absolutely fantastic player. Uh, Torreira Kerbalo, the, uh, the all-back capped um, scrum half, a very, very talented player. Um, and somebody who sort of get, gets that team moving very, very quickly. Someone who, who moves the chains really well and makes the makes that job a lot easier for a higher West. Um, and then the other player I know focused mainly on the backs here, uh, Vincent Ratte, um, fullback um, who was in fantastic domestic form. You know he's been in and around the the, the French squad, um, and he's a you know he's a super talented player, very sort of mazy sort of runner, especially running the ball back from deep. From the props, Uni Antonio, absolutely massive unit. We all know about him. Danny Prizo, very talented uh, prop as well. He's also been capped by France. Uh, and Victor Vito, you know, another sort of talisman for, for that team playing at number eight. Just a very, very um, good all-round player, even as he's sort of getting on a little bit. Um, Alex, I'll, I'll ask you about sort of uh, our selection choices in a minute, but I'd be interested as, uh, to sort of um, see what we do in terms of the centres. We've got a few options there. I think, you know, I don't really like the, the chances of Luke James and Cameron Puff up against uh, Levani Bartier and Jeffrey D- uh, Dumaru, um, which will likely be La Rochelle's centre partnership um, on uh, on Sunday. So we're very temp- uh, very interested to see if we do bring Van Rensburg back into the squad. Uh, I believe he was dealing with a sort of a, a, a niggling shoulder injury. Um, but I, I'd also be interested as well if he's fit to see where Denis Solomona comes into play because I think at a time when our attack is really sort of struggling to get fire in and we're relying on a couple of, of players who are able to sort of conjure something out of nothing. I think Solomona offers that that sort of game-breaking ability, just a little bit more than, than Marlon Yard, only a couple of games back after a long injury, uh, and, and Byron McGuigan. Um, same with Chris Ashton as well. But I would also be very interested to see if we sort of address our, our lack of physicality and pace in the midfield that we've definitely struggled with this year. Alex, uh, what, what sort of selection changes, if any, would you make to the team uh, on Sunday? Um, I think firstly in the forwards, just bringing John Ross back in, I think is crucial. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he's had his best starts to the season so far, but... Um, you saw how much we missed him on on the weekend. Um, in the backs, obviously, we're expecting to see Faf come back in, um, so I think he'll probably start. Given that no one has really put any claim to the starting spot uh, in his absence, um, and then yeah, you are right in the centres. I would have Denny in for Marlon Yard. Um, I think Yard's been good so far, but I do think defensively he's been caught out quite a few times. Um, and Denny probably looks a little bit more sort of at home in our defensive system um, doesn't leave those gaps that perhaps Marnyard does on occasion uh, in the centres yeah it's a difficult one if Rohan's available obviously you pick him but um, if he's not we, we were kind of bound by the fact that we didn't really have any other centres um, I don't think Larochelle at home when we need to win is the time to start Denny in the centre I think that might be later in the tournament when we don't need to win uh, either because we're out or you know um so, yeah, for me, it's a difficult one in the centres. And the other option is, of course, to bring in Rob Dupree and, uh, and move AJ to 12 or, you know, 
vice versa, um, which might be an interesting one to consider because, you know, I think they're both defensively sound enough to to operate against those La Rochelle centres. Um, it's just whether, you know, are we comfortable with them as a 10-12 pairing? Um, it might be an interesting one to consider. Seemed to work quite well on the weekend when they came on. Um, but, yeah, for me, John O'Ross, Faf and Denny are the, are the key ones to come back in. James, is there anyone that you'd like to see make a, make a reappearance? Well, I think Jono's obviously absolutely. I think Ustay's in maybe in at one. I think Harrison's been subbed close to half time last two games. I don't think he's right. Ustay's in at one. Um, I'd keep with Weber at two, and uh, I'd probably keep with Cooper Woolery at three. Although I am interested in Wilgriff John coming back. I think that's very helpful, especially defensively. Um, and Jean Luc to to the bench. I'd really consider Chris Ashton at fifteen. Um, Hammersley's had a good season don't get me wrong but if the centre pairings are going to be the centre pairings um, and we want to back our youngsters then I would maybe bring in uh, Chris Ashton to start picking off some lines um, and obviously Solomona in for yard as you guys said um, right so uh, predictions uh, how are we going to do it Alex you go first what, are you, what do you reckon Thanks, mate. Um, I can see us winning this one. Um, I think we drew a bit of a performance after last week. I think there'll be a reaction. I think our defence is solid. And I don't think La Rochelle will travel that well, so I'm going to go with Sale 23, La Rochelle 8. OK, and Lewis? I'm going to back our bat line to finally start firing. Uh, I'm going to say Sale 31, La Rochelle 21. And James, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to be something similar. I'm going to say Sale 28, and we're going to score a couple of tries, which will be nice. And I think La Rochelle will give away a lot of penalties as well. And I think they'll score about uh, 18. So 28. Brilliant. Well, we've uh, we've left uh, this week's podcast on quite a cheery note. Uh, and continuing that theme, just want to say a massive thank you um, to uh, both Alex and James for joining me once again. Big thank you to everyone who um, contributed three-word reviews. Thank you to everyone who's been engaging with us over the weekend. And thank you to everyone who submitted questions for when we did a little uh, impromptu Q&A session on the train up to Glasgow uh, on Saturday morning. That was really fun and, and definitely another way that we're keen to keep engaging with, uh, with our listeners. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, I think that's everything from me. Um, Alex, James, anything before? from you guys before we uh, say goodbye just thanks to Ben and Opta for the stats um, and here's to a good result against La Rochelle on Sunday yeah and for me just sorry for being a bit negative about the Glasgow forms I'm happy about the losing bonus it's just so frustrating because I think we can be so good and we will be mate don't worry here's to next <laughs> week yeah.